Coming to you live from the St. Louis offices of Master Closet Studios, this is the only podcast on the internet focusing completely on the third doctor. For right now, I'm pretty sure that's true. This is a special Classic Who edition of the Noobs and the Whovian, but it's Noobs and Whovian light. In fact, it's just me, Jared, droning on and on about the third doctor and the people that surround him and giving you some background information before we all launch into watching The Terror of the Autons. So let's jump into it and talk about the third doctor. He was played by John Pertwee. And he did that for five seasons from 1970 until he decided to leave in 1974. And he had a very distinct style in playing the Doctor. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, But let's give you just sort of the the basis of where the story is uh, of Doctor Who. We've talked about this before, but uh, just to remind you. He is exiled to Earth by the Time Lords for interfering with with time in general and uh, saving people and changing events in time and all that. And so he's put on trial as the second Doctor. And if, as you recall, he's exiled to Earth and there's a forced regeneration from the second to the third Doctor. Now, this is done in story just to change things up, but it's done for a real-life purpose of saving the budget. Doctor Who is not yet on firm ground. They don't know how long they're going to keep this going, and uh, it doesn't have a big enough fan base to be sure and to to justify a large budget. So they want to reduce the budget. So if they keep him on Earth completely, then they can keep the budget low because they they only have to work with Earth sets. They can reuse a lot of sets. They don't have to be constantly making these new worlds and things in their sets. So and, and and props and other things so they can keep it a little more simple, keep the budget down. But back to the story, uh, the doctor's knowledge of time travel is removed from his mind by the Time Lords and his TARDIS is disabled. So we see a lot of the doctor in the first uh, the third doctor in his first couple of seasons trying to repair the TARDIS, constantly trying to find out ways to, to get his TARDIS working again. Um, but even then, uh, he shouldn't really know how to uh, pilot it through time because that's, that's been removed from, from his mind there. This whole introduction of the Time Lords is actually uh, a whole new thing. They haven't really talked about or introduced the Time Lords before. In fact, the Doctor up to this point is really introduced as a human from another planet. He's not introduced right away as a Time Lord. If you go back, and not that we can watch because we've lost all those episodes, but if you go back and watch 1 and 2, it's just assumed that he's a human from outer space. And so it's now with the third Doctor that he is introduced as a Time Lord, and there are other Time Lords, and they have laws and rules, and he's going to be held accountable so it was retconned, this concept that, that he was not human, that he was a Time Lord. And since they were reworking the show, they were reworking so much of the concepts of the show here, it was also a time that they took to take steps to rework uh, their audience. Uh, they were no longer trying to aim at children for a children's show. They wanted to garner some teens and adults. They wanted to widen their audience and gain more viewers. And so this is really a reworking uh, of 
all the concepts from from all angles and you, as you watch you might see albeit it's from 1970s so yes things will feel dated and certainly special effects will be rather poor and keep in mind they're trying to keep the budget low so the special effects will be low budget but they're really trying to uh rework all sides and gain a greater audience and so we have and you'll get a feel that's like a little bit more of the who if you've only watched new who a little bit more of the doctor who that we're familiar with it's got more action more adventure it was in color for the first time and there's also more horror and violence uh included in the show so it's it's aiming at a slightly more mature audience now let's take a look uh, at his companions that he had throughout uh, the third doctor's time. Carolyn John uh, played Liz Shaw, and she just played for the third doctor's first season, so uh, for that 1970-71 season there. And she was his assistant at UNIT, and she was an accomplished scientist. Uh, just to back up a little bit, the doctor is banished, he's exiled to Earth, and he hooks up with unit and we're we are familiar with unit in new who and uh, this was somewhat of a newer concept they, there was unit was introduced uh, a little bit prior in classic who uh, but now just fleshing out unit and that's a newer concept there also much like the time lords and all that that they're they're fleshing out the hooniverse um, and so uh, he joins up with unit as their scientific advisor and so his companions mainly are his assistants there as they work as he works with unit so first we had Lid Shaw and then next uh, for the next three seasons we've got Katie Manning playing Joe Grant and she also was his assistant and you'll see her get introduced in the terror of the autons right in that that first uh, episode uh, of the serial and so you'll get to know her. I, I won't introduce her too much because you'll be getting to know her right along through the episode. People differ on, on whether they, you know, it, there's a large disparity on whether people like her or not. You have some folks that, that really love her, really connect with her, and really see the, the relationship between Joe and the doctor grow in ways that companions haven't yet and, and really won't for a long time, really until we get to New Who. Uh, and so it was only three seasons. So they felt like there wasn't a whole lot of time to connect uh, those two. And, and that wasn't a focus of the show at that time. But really, there are those that feel like the doc this is as close as you get in Classic Who to Rose in New Who that, with the Doctor's connection to, the, to this companion uh, on so many different levels. There are others who see her as uh, not with that romantic connection and she's kind of just ditzy and flighty and so there are those that really can't stand her and there are those that really love her uh i, I you don't really read about a whole lot of people in between i like joe grant i'm a fan of her i don't see her quite in the, as the ditzy character she was written that way sometimes but i see her as as a little bit stronger of a character so i'll be interested of course we're only seeing one story and her first story so you don't really see her as an established character in this but be interested to uh see if there's anything uh any response to that as uh, when you guys are looking over the the episode after we watch it so then finally in the last season of the third doctor we have elizabeth sladen coming in and she plays the famous Sarah Jane Smith, uh, arguably 
one of the best, if some people think the best companion of all of Doctor Who. So uh, she's she certainly is one of the longest companions, and she did do a great job. And of course, even had, as you know, her own spinoff series. So uh, this is pretty epic for the third Doctor, brings in Sarah Jane Smith, and she was not his assistant uh, when introduced. She was a journalist who discovered that UNIT existed, this clandestine uh, government agency, and she wanted to know what they were up to. So that got her uh, into the mix there. She snuck aboard the TARDIS, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So um, also there are a couple of honorable mentions. It's hard to really classify all of these folks as companions because sometimes we say, well, they have to take a ride in the TARDIS. Well, some of these folks didn't because the TARDIS wasn't really running yet. Uh, so, you know, that the, the normal classification doesn't really hold true. But worth mentioning are Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, who runs UNIT, and his second-in-command, Captain Mike Yates. Now, Captain Yates often goes with the Doctor a lot, so he could be a companion. And uh, Lethbridge-Stewart is involved a lot He's, you know, it'd be hard to classify him, him as a companion, but he's there as often as, as some companions are. So he has a, a very big part to play at this point in Doctor Who. And uh, one final honorable mention, because the third Doctor spent so much time without his TARDIS, it is very fitting that he got his own unique uh, mode of transportation while on Earth, and that was an antique roadster, which is bright yellow and named Bessie. And uh, the the license plate you'll see on it says Who. I think it's Who One uh, on there. And so uh, this is a, this is very iconic to the Third Doctor. And much like the TARDIS, Bessie is almost like a companion. Um, not quite as much as the TARDIS becomes a new Who of, of a companion, but. Uh, uh, because they're not implying that Bessie has any sort of consciousness or ability to do things on its own. But it is definitely a character uh, in the show. So let's get to... Uh, and the final person that uh, has a lot to do in this uh, in this time of the, the Doctor's experience is, of course, we're introduced to the Master. And that's one of the reasons we're watching this episode, because it's the first episode of the Master. And so we've seen the first episode of the Daleks. Uh, we aren't going to see the first episode. We, we've already passed the first episode of the Cybermen, but that's okay. Uh, we, we've seen their early origins with the second Doctor. And so now we're seeing the first episode of the Master. And that's pretty epic for Doctor Who. And he's played by Roger Delgado. And Roger Delgado plays the Master from 1971 to 73. And I know that seems like only a few years, but he's in every single story in his first season where he's introduced. So this is the first one, and this is the first story, this first serial of this season, and he's in every single one. So he got a lot of time to, to play and establish the character of the master and some would say he's he's the best that there's ever been unfortunately he has the distinction uh, of being the first major actor uh, of doctor who 
to to die. Um, he was filming uh, on a movie unrelated to Doctor Who out in Turkey, and there was a car accident, and unfortunately, he and, and a couple of the others from the production crew of that movie died in that accident. So uh, he he only got to play the Doctor for a span of a few years there, but. In Terror of the Autons, we see the Master as he was originally conceived. And you might say he's basically pure evil. Uh, In New Who, we see the Master as pretty crazy uh, and evil because he's crazy. And that you could argue that there's some insanity uh, going on for him to be able to do what he does. Uh, But he is... He's pretty darn evil. Um, he's, He's willing to kill whoever stands in his way just in the name of trying to outwit and kill the doctor, not really for anything other than sport. It's all a game to him. Nothing really matters. He's he, he's just playing a game. He's on power trips. He's, you know, why is he helping the Autons? No real big reason, but just because he wants to because he likes causing trouble. And he's willing to kill, as as you'll see in the story, lots of people. He's He's willing to kill a ton of people just because and so that's pretty evil and pretty crazy and so we we see that we see the first iteration of the master coming here he's a renegade time lord he has his own tardis and by the way it's a slightly newer tardis than the doctor's tardis and he is very adept at mind control so you'll see that throughout the story finally here's the big one which you've all been waiting for let's look at who is the doctor All right, so the third Doctor. If you keep in mind that this era of the Doctor was inspired by James Bond, you will quickly understand the third Doctor. John Pertwee and James Bond writer Ian Fleming worked together in World War II in the British Naval Intelligence Division. And Pertwee was so high up in that division, he reported directly to the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill. And so they were working with uh, special gadgets. They were training people how to use them, uh, compasses and buttons and maps, secret maps printed on uh, what looked like simple handkerchiefs. And uh, Pert, we talked about in an interview, teaching people how to use a pipe that you could actually smoke, but it was also a gun. I mean, this is Q-level James Bond stuff. Uh, that they were actually working with in real life and developing and training people to use. And this is what he did with the guy who went on to write James Bond. So you can imagine, just imagine the stories and the ideas that they had uh, as they were working together. And so that is, we drew upon this influence when he was coming up with the character of the third Doctor. So he played the Doctor as a refined gentleman, complete with velvet sport coats, capes, and frilly shirts. One excellent word to describe him would be dashing. Dapper is another good one if you're looking for two words to describe him. He he is sure of himself, and he's not afraid to give orders. He's uh, he, he worked, he was an inventor, he was an ex- expert linguist, and a martial arts expert. So while it doesn't come out in the show, I would be willing to go out on a limb and say that I would expect that the third doctor had a knowledge of fine wines, maybe started his own craft brewery long before it was popular. 
He could probably recite all 154 sonnets of Shakespeare and wore a tuxedo every night after 6 p.m. just because he made it look so good. In short, the third doctor was the original most interesting man in the world. Just watch his coiffed hair. I can't think of a single instance where it gets messy or out of sorts, ever. So, there you go. There's kind of a picture of the third Doctor. Uh, here's where he's coming from. He's already had a full season under his belt, so the third Doctor is pretty well established at this point. Uh, he he is sometimes aloof. He's working with Unit, but he's not necessarily thrilled to do so and uh, feels a bit tied down by it at times. And with the third Doctor, we learn a lot about, because they've just introduced this concept of Time Lords and, and uh, that the background of, of the Doctor's character here. So with the third Doctor, we start to learn a lot about Time Lords, like their biology with two hearts and all that. Uh, we, we get the name of their home planet for the first time, Gallifrey. And uh, we also learn that, uh, as I said before, that they have rules uh, that uh, they will hold people accountable to, and they have a hierarchy and leadership, and also that they love to bend and break the rules uh, as they see fit. And so we also learn, uh, if you went back and watched all of The Third Doctor, you'd also learn more about UNIT and why it was formed and some of its history. So I think that's about it. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much what you're gonna need uh, for to to enjoy this uh, story to the fullest. Uh, I mean, there were so many stories that we could have watched that that actually connect to the episodes that the noobs and the Whovian, if you're following along, that that if you're caught up, that that we're watching right now. Uh, I mean, we've got the first appearance of the Suntarans in the Time Warrior with the Third Doctor. Could have seen the first appearance of the Silurians in the Silurians, or or the continuation of the story in the Sea Devils. We could have seen the first appearance of the Autons and the Nestine Consciousness in Spearhead from Space. That's the first serial of the Third Doctor. But as it stands, we will be seeing the Autons. And uh, of course, we just saw uh, at least a reference to them. But I chose Terror of the Autons uh, above all the other options because I just couldn't resist picking the first appearance of the Master. So I hope you enjoy it. This one is definitely... Uh, a lot more uh, action-packed and uh, adventurous than the the other Classic Who episodes that we've watched. And uh, I'll be really interested to, to hear the discussion. And uh, somehow those of you out there that are listening, uh, you know, especially if you're Classic Who fans, uh, you know, email Noobs and the Whovian. Uh, let them know what what do you think are you do you just hate classic who or you, you can't stand it are you liking it are you appreciating the foundation I, I would love to hear uh, from some folks that are listening in uh, uh, how they feel about classic who as a fan of classic who myself so uh, shoot them an, an email you know just give them a quick response because uh, I think it would be fun to have some interaction and how you all feel about the terror of the autons and about how classic who is progressing Really, the biggest area to thank uh, this week is BritBox. It's a wonderful streaming subscription service that you can see lots of great British shows on, but uh, you can see all of Classic Who, uh, at least what's available out there. 
And if you get that as an addition to Amazon, you can, they'll be talking about their affiliate link, I'm sure, and you can find that on their website. A little bit to the TARDIS wiki, uh, uh, thank you, and a little bit to uh, Wikipedia, uh, just information about uh, the, the Master and John Pertwee. And so thank you to all of those uh, sources uh, for, for helping me uh, pull all this information together. I have a lot of fun with the third doctor. He's not necessarily my doctor, but I think he does a good job as a doctor. I think he, he, he brought a lot to the role. Uh, that's fun to see. So thank you all very much, and I look forward to bringing you more Classic Who Connections next time.